You guys can be seated. So, um, if you have your Bibles, you can open back up to Mark. And if you are uh, sitting in the black chairs, there are seat or uh, pieces of paper in each of the chairs with pens. If you are not in one of the black seats, um, then there are pieces of paper in the middle of that wooden table back there um, that you're welcome to grab. And there's some pens that are back there on that white shelf. So we pick back up in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 tonight. And this section of Mark is uh, somewhat interesting because it's kind of like the... um, it's, it's like that Mark takes a time out and um, he starts showing these different conflicts that, that Jesus probably had uh, multiple times, but he kind of lines them up. It's, it's not necessarily chronological, um, whereas like the first part we see um, most likely was chronological. What I mean by that is that it's like in time order. Um, but this part is just highlighting different um, conflicts and different things that, uh, that Jesus addressed while um, he was here. And so we don't really know exactly when it was in his ministry that he addressed these different things. It could have been multiple times. It could have been once. But regardless, he addressed these things. And they're super important, so important that Mark would put them in the second chapter um, of his uh, um, gospel. And so um, we jump in, and we're going to be looking at a passage tonight that uh, can come across as a little bit confusing if you don't understand the historical context because it's going to talk about things that, in our context, we have no idea what they are, um, such as a wineskin. Okay, um, so we're going to talk about that first. We're going to talk about um, weddings back then, wineskins, and so forth. Um, and hopefully that will kind of lay the foundation uh, for the, the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. But I'm going to read the passage first. Um, so if you have your Bibles open up to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 18. Um, and so we're going to start, and it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Jesus, uh, why, do you, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, uh, the new from the old and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in an old wine skin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. Okay. So let's talk first um, about this question that was uh, asked of Jesus. Um, so, so first and foremost, so John has disciples. John the Baptist is who they're talking about. John the Baptist has disciples. Now, the Pharisees didn't necessarily have disciples, um, but the Pharisees definitely fasted. Um, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, how often they fasted and so forth. And we see that multiple times in Scripture. Um, but there were also people that would like, like uh, follow Pharisees, not necessarily being disciples, but so that they could have been talking about these people that are following the Pharisees or the Pharisees or both combined. Regardless, um, they're talking about these two groups of people that the people would have looked at. One, that's a perfect example of the Old Testament law that's trying to do everything, check the boxes, and so forth. One that's kind of a new movement, John the Baptist, but like he's got a pretty strong movement. And they look at both of those, and they see them fasting. And then they look at uh, Jesus' disciples, and they don't see them fasting. And so they ask this question. Now, um, 
we don't know if it's like asking it in a judgmental way, like, why aren't you guys fasting? Or if it's gen gen genuinely curiosity. It, it really doesn't matter. The question was asked. And so Jesus responds with a rabbinic um, question. That's so, so, so common. Um, when somebody asks a rabbi a question, that they would ask a question in return, um, kind of like a counselor. Um, they would ask a question in return, um, and that would get that person thinking. It's uh, kind of like uh, Socratic. I think that that's the term, um, questioning. Um, but it's to get that person to, to think about why they're asking um, what they're asking. And so they asked this question about fasting. So before we can go any further, let's talk about fasting, okay? I know that most of you guys are probably familiar with what fasting is. But if you're not, um, it's often voluntarily going without food or drink for religious purposes. Um, and then sometimes it's done as a sign of grief, distress, and repentance. Okay, so, so fasting oftentimes, especially throughout Scripture, like good grief, I, I didn't put all the, um, uh, the instances of fasting. It literally like would have just been forever long if I had shown you all the places in Scripture that either somebody fasted or they called for a fast or God told them to fast. Fasting is throughout the entire Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And so it's really important. Um, and so uh, sometimes it was a sign when they were in repentance, like the nation of Israel, like the whole nation would fast because they were repenting of something. Sometimes it was out of religious duty. In fact, um, they were required by law, um, well, the, the Old Testament law, um, to uh, fast on the Day of Atonement. Now, somebody tell me what the Day of Atonement is again, because we've talked about it so much down here. Huh? Day of Atonement. Yes. The one day a year that they take the sheep to the place. Um, yes, well... Yes, okay, so it's the one day of the year that, that all the nation repents, that they bring their sacrifices, that there's a scapegoat and so forth, and the high priest goes in the Holy of Holies. That's the Day of Atonement. That was the only day that, that a normal common person would have been required to fast, um, but they often fasted in other, other times. Um, like in times of grief, you find people that will uh, put on sackcloth, um, which is like rough clothing. They'll throw ashes on their head, and they'll fast as a sign of grief, right? There's a way that they would grieve. Um, or if they're just in distress as a nation. So if they were seeking God's guidance, um, a lot of times, like, if they were seeking God's guidance, especially with, like, conflict with another nation, they would fast and so forth. We've already talked about Jesus fasting in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. So that's already happened. So, so they ask the question. They don't necessarily ask if Jesus is fasting or not. Um, it could have been that it's inferred that he's also not fasting at this point. Um, but we see that it's not about that fasting is right or wrong. Um, it's not about whether specifically if Jesus was fasting or not. The point is, is that they, it was odd that these disciples weren't fasting. It was just odd. And so they ask. Um, and so uh, the Day of Atonement, like I said, you can look at Leviticus 16.29 um, and verse 31. Uh, girls, you guys are going through Leviticus. But that's where you'll find um, that requirement to, uh, to fast. Um, just a few people, like literally, like the list is a really, really long list. But Israel, David, Jesus, Ezra, Saul, Darius... Daniel, Anna, should be a, not Daniel, Anna, it's not a two-name uh, name, should be a, a comma there. Paul, Barnabas, etc. fasted. So it's very common, very, very common. The, uh, the Pharisees, sorry, I repeated that. The Pharisees fasted every Monday and Thursday. Okay, so um, we find in Scripture that they oftentimes would, uh, would show that they were fasting in different ways, like they would be unkept or something like that. And so they were drawing attention to themselves. In fact, Jesus 
um, points that out, and he highlights that when you fast, don't let anybody know. Put oil on your head. We don't put oil on our head unless you're an essential oils person, which I did just get beard oil today. So I don't know if you guys can tell or not. Yeah, we got a thumbs up in the back. Okay. It's glistening, isn't it? Anyway, um, but to put oil on your head and, uh, and to not let people know that you're fasting. Again, it's not about um, putting on a show, but a lot of times with the religious crew, um, it was about putting on the, the show. And so people knew that the Pharisees fasted on Monday and Thursday. Um, and probably more than that if they were really, really, really religious. Okay, so that's uh, a little bit about fasting. So they ask why his disciples aren't fasting. They ask why is it that you guys aren't fasting. And so it's interesting how Jesus responds. It's really interesting, actually. Um, But let me talk about weddings really quick because he responds in talking about a wedding. He asks a question, like, when a bridegroom is with them, like, can they fast? Like, like they're not going to fast whenever the bridegroom is with them. So let's talk about weddings because... A lot of times we have ideas about weddings, and Aaron knows my um, sad opinions about weddings. I'm so sorry. that I, But, like, a lot of times, like, we, we have these ideas about weddings, and if you want to go to a crazy cool wedding, go to a Jewish wedding. Like, they know how to celebrate. They especially knew how to celebrate back then, okay? So think about the lifestyle back then. Think about how hard their life was, okay? It's not like us driving around in our Lexuses and, like, oh, well, we're going to a wedding, you know, it's no big deal, like... We could probably have better food if we went to the alley down on, on Main Street, right? I always bring that up. But anyways, go down to the alley or whatever, and we're like, we're judging it. It's like, well, whatever, 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 whatever. But think about their context, okay? Like third world-ish type of feel. And then they have a wedding feast and the celebration that would happen in that moment, okay? I don't know how to compare that to our culture, because honestly, I don't think that we really can bridge the gap there. I'm trying my hardest in my brain right now. If you guys think of an illustration that would be like that, where it's like you have pretty much nothing, it's hard work, things are hard, and then all of a sudden you have like this crazy awesome um, get-together and celebration. Yeah, do you have a, an illustration? Yeah, kind of like that for a brief moment. Okay, so yeah, yeah, kind of like that. So like, like winning the lottery. That's good, Mason. That's good. Okay, so let's talk about the weddings, all right? So um, it was a festive occasion in which the whole community participated. Okay, so this was not um, like we do today where we send out uh, invitations, and if you don't get an invitation, well, bummer. Okay, and you'll see here in a second when we talk about how this unfolds, why the entire community was involved. So the bride would wear white robes, um, jewels, bridal girdle, um, which I don't even know what a girdle is, but don't tell me. If that's inappropriate, I apologize. It was in the thing that I was studying. I don't know what it is. Um, Veil. Um, and a garland on her head, okay? And then the groom would wear his best clothes, headdress, and travel to, not taught, to the bride's house with musicians, singers, and friends. Okay, imagine that. So on his wedding day, he wakes up, puts on his best, like, stuff. The girl's getting ready in her father's house. She's putting on her best stuff. Her friends are with her. His friends are with him. And then the musicians come, and they go parading through the street to her house. Right? Like, like, isn't that fantastic? And so they parade through the street. Now, it draws attention to people, right? Um, and it was an exciting time. Like this, again, the communities back then weren't as big as ours. Like people knew one another. So they knew that they were getting uh, married and they were excited about it. They're going through the streets singing. Um, and, and so then they go to the, uh, the groom would go to receive the bride and the blessing of the parents. So the parents would kind of hand their bride over to the groom, okay? We kind of do that in our ceremony now, but they hand the bride over to the groom, and they give him blessings. Then what happens? you have a question? I was going to tell you that a girdle is like a... Honeymoon. 
A corset. Oh, the thing that goes around yeah. your waist? It, oh, it okay. It doesn't lace up, it's just this. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's what it is. Great, wonderful. I'm, lear I'm learning with you guys tonight. That's perfect. Okay. So the groom would receive, um, the, groom would receive uh, the, the bride, and then they would return. Okay, so I found this picture. Um, if it was at night, they would have lanterns. Um, and you got that flute player back there, and he's like, yeah, this is lit. You know, I got literally lit, huh? I didn't even think about that. That was funny. Anyways. Um, and yeah, thank you. Another thumbs up. And so they would go back, and they're singing and celebrating and dancing, going back to the groom's house. Okay, so whether it be the groom's house or his parents' house, we've talked about how, like Peter, for instance, he probably lived with um, his family, his extended family. And so, like, sometimes the groom would just build a room on the, the house of his parents. Sometimes, if they were wealthy, they would probably have their own property. But that's beside the point. They're heading back, okay? People have seen them parade that way, okay? They do the blessing thing, everything's exciting, and then they start parading back. But when they start parading back, guess what? This is public time right? That was more private. This is public. Now we're joining the party. We're, we're going wherever this guy's going because it's going to be awesome, okay? And so they're heading back, um, and they would uh, then go back to the groom's house and celebrate. On the way back, they would be joined with more people. Um, a feast would be served, and there would be dancing and great joy, okay? You got to get out of your mind um, the idea of most Baptist weddings. No offense to Baptist weddings, but it's, this is not a Baptist wedding in the sense that, like, we're standing over in the corner drinking our juice and saying, what a beautiful couple. <laughs> what a beautiful couple. I'm really glad they didn't have a dance floor here because that would make me feel real awkward. Right? Right? But they're so beautiful. No, it was like, yeah, this is off the chain, awesome, we're excited for you, we're, we're celebrating. Like I told you guys on Sunday morning, um, just to give you a little hint, okay, this is nowhere close, but to give you a little bit of a hint, when I went to a, a Messianic Jew um, I don't know if it's Messianic Jewish or Messianic Jew um, Bible study, home Bible study. We ended the night holding hands and doing this around a table, singing some sort of like Hebrew song. I didn't know what it was. I was like, but this is awesome, right? And that's their Bible study ending. So you think about a wedding at that time and think about how they would be celebrating with them. Okay, um, so uh, how long do you think that this went on? Uh, you, guys are, you guys are guessing high. I'm so sorry. Who said seven? Good. Yes. It went on for seven days. Okay? So, so be, but before that happened, so they would have this party, they would celebrate, and then um, the, the bride, she would be escorted uh, to uh, the, the room uh, that they would join their marriage. She would be escorted by her, her parents there, and then they would come back, and they would get the groom, and either the parents of the bride or the groom's like friends and stuff, they would escort him to the to the bridal chamber, and then um, they would let them consummate the marriage. Like it's a very beautiful, beautiful picture. Okay, like and so so they consummate the marriage, and then they would wake up the next day. All right, and you think that they would go on their honeymoon? They didn't go on their honeymoon. They wake up and they start it all again for seven days. Seven days of celebration. Generally. Now, again, again, that could have been a little bit different in different contexts, but in general, seven days of celebration and feasting. Now you see why people would show up at these things. Just fantastic. Okay, so that's the idea of the, um, of the, the wedding at that time. Now, let me ask you this. 
What if some dude showed up and he was like, like let's just say that a Pharisee showed up and it was it was whatever day, I forget, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. Whatever day he was fasting, he shows up and he's like unkept and he's just like, I am holier than thou. And I'm not going to eat any of this awesome food or wine because I'm fasting. Does that make any bit of sense? No. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, um, we talked about how they talked about, uh, or they, they put those different like stipulations on the law. Back then, like, so there was the laws, Moses, the Old Testament, and then they would put rules on top of those rules, and then rules on top of those rules. You guys remember this? So there would be an oral tradition, and people would just know, like, yo, man, you're not supposed to, like, cut the wick on your candle or whatever, like, on the Sabbath. That's, I'm just making that up, but it's, like, random stuff like that. But one of the stipulations that they did say is that anybody that was intending a wedding could be released from any type of religious duty during that time that would um, uh, decrease their joy in that moment. That's, that, that's crazy. These super legalistic like rules, and then they're like, they made a rule to say, go have fun at the wedding. It's pretty cool. So this is the context that, that Jesus is talking about. So when, they, when he brought up the wedding, it wasn't the weddings that we think about today that like are, and I, I get that there's different types of weddings in different cultures and stuff, but in general, like what we kind of conceptualize, it wasn't like that. It was so celebratory. And so he comes and he says, like, would they fast while the bridegroom is with them? Well, what's the obvious answer to that question? No. No. That's ridiculous. That would be like me and Aaron getting married and then my best men deciding that they're going to fast for the week before and during it. Like, could you imagine it? What it, like, so that's not eating for like the week? It, it, it depends. Like, it could be a different um, duration. So the Pharisees that fasted those two days, it was normally from sundown to, uh, or sundown to sundown. So it would be 24 hours, basically. 24. So sundown. Okay, to the morning time, to the next sundown. Oh, yeah, math, okay. All right, so, um, so, but sometimes the fasts were longer than that, to answer your question. Um, okay, now let's talk about wineskins. Yeah, let's change the subject. All right, so does anybody have an idea of what a wineskin is? Yes, Jared. Yes, 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 a skin, yes. Yeah, it's a skin that they put wine in. Isn't that fantastic? Okay, now, I'm going to show you a picture first because I think this picture is like, ugh, I don't really know because whenever I saw it, I was like, ooh. Like, okay, so, so this is, this is the picture, okay? I'm going to skip past to show you the picture. hey Okay. Yeah. Yeah, soak it in, people. Soak it in. Okay. All right. So let me explain to you what you're looking at. Let me explain to you what you're looking at. Obviously, over there, it looks much like a canteen. You're like, oh, Davy Crockett, right? This would have been um, that. Okay, so the reason I put both these up there is that there was actually multiple ways that they would make them, but the most common way, the most common way was to do it like this. Honestly, I don't know what type of animal this is, but the animal that they would normally use is a goat. Okay? 
And so, so what they would do is they would obviously skin whatever it is, okay? And then they would tie up the loose ends, like the neck up here, the, the tail or rear end back here, and then the legs, okay? And what that would do is it would create a waterproof sack for the wine to be, okay? So, like, I, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, like, gross. Like, could you imagine, like, I mean, they cleaned it, obviously. Okay. But I'm still thinking, like, oh, gross. Okay, so, uh, so that's a lot of times what the wineskin would look like. Um, obviously, they would have smaller ones um, for travel and stuff like that. That's why I put up the uh, David Crockett thing. But basically, they would use the hide of an animal, and they would seal up whatever uh, was still open, and then they would put the wine in there. Okay, and it would hold. So, like, not in bottles, and put it in there, just, like, pour it out. Like, okay, so, um, so we're just talking about wineskins right now. Let me be real with you and honest, okay? I don't know if there were, like, a, a, a use, like, if they used bottles for wine back then, okay? I could try to figure that out for you, though. Next time we talk about wine, well, I'll try to figure that out. Um, but what I do know is that they use wine skins, which is, like, like let's say that you go to Arrington Vineyards and buy a wine skin like that. That would be disgusting. Okay, anyway, so let's talk about this. So a wine skin is a bag for holding and dispensing wine uh, made from the skin of a goat or another animal. And so fermenting wine, obviously when something ferments, it gives off gas. And so, so when they put it in a new wine skin, it was able to expand, the skin was. Okay? And so, so that gas would expand inside of there. It was closed off. The gas would expand in there. And when it was a new wine skin, the skin could expand. But once they've used it with new wine, and it's already been fermenting in there and stuff, what would happen is that, that skin would be really taut, and it would be really uh, um, like brittle. And so what would happen is that if you put new wine into that, it would just bust it open because it didn't have any elasticity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. Yes. So you're saying like putting new wine in an old wine sack is like a snake and old skin? Like a snake and old skin? Is that what you said? Uh, a snake uh, Like, yeah, I guess kind of like that. Like their skin gets dry and stuff and then they shed it. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. So it's growing. Like if you guys have watched Stranger Things, it's like when the Demic dog grows and then it sheds its thing. Right? Okay. Anyway. Sorry, man. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Okay. So so now let's talk about the passage now that we've talked about uh, kind of what's going on here. Obviously, it talks about um, an old garment or an old uh, piece of uh, cloth being put on a new uh, garment. And so I didn't think that it was really important for us to talk about that because we can kind of visualize that, right? Okay. All right, so in this passage, Jesus uses allegories to compare the kingdom of God with the Old Testament religion. So they come, they ask him this question, and then he uses three different uh, stories or allegories uh, to, to compare his kingdom, the kingdom of God, with the Old Testament Judaism, okay? The Old Testament Judaism is what, um, what the Jewish person would have believed back then. It's what these Pharisees were all about. It's the Old Testament law, okay? It's the, the Old Covenant. It's what God set in place in the Old Testament. You guys understand that? And so he's, he's highlighting that his way, okay, the new kingdom, well, his kingdom, um, that it's completely different than that. You following me? It's a completion of that, but that it's very, very separate. It's not compatible, okay? Like, okay, so let me make sure I'm making this clear. So it's not that Jesus is saying that that was wrong or that I'm just throwing it out like a piece of garbage. In fact, we see in other passages that Jesus says, no, I've come to fulfill the law, Right? 
but he's taken it to a completely new level. And because of how different Jesus' way of making a relationship to, to God was than the Old Covenant, um, it wasn't compatible. Like, it wasn't going to fit. It just wasn't going to fit if you tried to shove it into the old wine skin, if you tried to put it on an old piece of fabric. Okay, so we'll get there. Um, so he's, he's highlighting the difference between um, the, his kingdom and the Old Testament religion, um, Judaism. So uh, the first image that he gives is a new wedding and an old covenant. New wedding and an old covenant. So a wedding signifies what? Celebration. Celebration. What, is it, what does it signify between the two people? Yeah, new beginning. New relationship. Yeah. And so, so, so he gives this image of a wedding that, that there's, there's new things happening. Okay? And, and, and so, so he's the bridegroom, and he uses that term. And it's interesting that he uses that term because in the Old Testament, um, God is oftentimes uh, depicted as the bridegroom and Israel as his bride. And so in that, he, was, uh, he wasn't necessarily like overtly saying, like, I am, I am God. But somebody hearing that possibly could have picked up on, oh, wait a second. Like, that's how God describes himself with Israel. And so now Jesus is describing himself as the bridegroom, right? And that his disciples, if, if he's with them, then why would they fast? They wouldn't. Like, this is time for celebration. And he says, but there's going to be a time when the bridegroom is gone. So he's foreshadowing um, what's, what's going to happen. Off in the future with cross, empty tomb. Don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. Okay, but he's foreshadowing that, and he's saying, okay, but when the bridegroom is gone, then there might be a time when fasting is appropriate again. But right now, it's not appropriate. Like it's not, it's not. There's no point to it because the bridegroom's here. It's time to celebrate. Okay, you guys following the image here? And then the Old Testament covenant, um, we see uh, uh, God calling Abraham or Abram at that time. And you guys remember that God made this covenant. Now, a covenant was a, a law by, or, um, um, oh gosh. Okay, well, it was an agreement um, between two people uh, that was, law. Uh, well, anyways, I'm trying to, I can't, I can't wrap my mind around what I'm trying to say. It was a law, um, ah, law. Okay, whatever. I'm going to pass this, okay? We're going we're gonna to pretend like that didn't just happen. But they, they had to follow it, okay? So there's a covenant. God moves on the behalf of Abraham. He says, I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. And then Abraham's like, okay. He's like, follow me to a land that you don't even know. And so Abraham takes his family, and he goes. And then out of Abraham comes the nation of Israel, and out of Israel comes, obviously, Jesus Christ the Messiah. And so, so God's moving um, on behalf of the people. But in the Old Covenant, there was also an old sacrificial system that we've been learning about, right? And so these people would constantly be bringing sacrifices to God, saying, please forgive us of our sins. But every time, it was pointing towards the, the reality that these people, like, apart from a Savior, apart from somebody doing it on their behalf, then they cannot be right with God. And so they constantly fall into sin, constantly repent. God brings them back into his fold, but then they fall right back into sin, repent, boom, 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 boom. And really all it was doing was highlighting that the human condition cannot be fixed by man. It can't be fixed by an animal sacrifice. It can only, only be fixed by a Messiah and a Savior. Okay? And so he's highlighting that, that that Old Testament system isn't wrong, but that old way is, is, is now passing. And there's a new way coming in me. You guys following me? Was that a yawn? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So new cloth and old cloth is the second um, uh, allegory that he uses. So obviously, 
if I have a tear in my jeans and I've washed my jeans 16 times, I'm not going to put a brand new patch on that. No. Because if you wash it at that point, then that brand new patch is going to shrink. And when it shrinks, it's going to make an even bigger hole. Okay? It's going to tear, it's going to tear um, the fabric even more than it did. Okay, so the point in this allegory um, is that, that Jesus isn't just a patch to the old system. Jesus isn't just a fix to this, this Old Testament system that isn't really working that well. Like, it's not that Jesus is coming along and saying, well, you know, all of this is okay, and it's almost, almost there, and I'm going to just come in and just kind of be the patch on here. No, like, like, again, incompatible. Incompatible. And hear me when I say this, like, Jesus had a high regard for the Old Testament law, obviously. He had a high regard for Judaism, obviously. So it's not that Jesus is saying, like, they're completely wrong and I'm completely right. But what he's highlighting is, is that you can't put them together. Like, this old way is passing away, and there's a new way through me. You guys follow me? See how these allegories can be a little bit confusing? Okay. All right. Next one. New wine skin and old, or new wine and old wine skin. Okay, so this one's probably the easiest one to uh, kind of wrap my mind around, at least. So, so you can't put old wine, or new wine in an old wine skin, or it'll burst. Um, and so, uh, what Jesus is highlighting here... It's the same thing that he's highlighting with a patch of fabric. I just find this one a whole lot easier to, to imagine. Okay, imagine the old wineskin as the Old Testament religion. Okay, what the, what the Pharisees were doing. They were like, okay, we've got to like fast on this day and this day. We've got to not do anything on the Sabbath. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to do this. Hear me when I say this. They probably, some of them were doing that out of the goodness of their heart. But some of them had gotten trapped in legalism. And, and so you see time and time again, Jesus bumping against that. And if Jesus is the new wine, his kingdom coming to earth through him is the new wine, it constantly challenges that. There is no possible way that Jesus could be contained in the old religious system. You follow me? Because when they tried to do that, it was just like... Because everything that he did, was, was, it, it was completely new. Okay? And so, so it wasn't compatible. And so, so if you imagine this old, rigid like used wineskin, old, rigid, used religious system, okay, you follow me? And then Jesus comes to earth, he's God incarnate, bringing the kingdom of God here and now, and then you try to put that into this and contain it? No, like no, it just won't work. Jesus is, is everything. And that old wineskin, though it was useful and though it points to the, our need for Jesus Christ and it's so valuable, it, it can't contain the gospel. You following me? No, this is really hard to kind of wrap my mind. It's hard for me at least. I don't know about you guys. You guys are probably right over me. Okay. So let's talk about an application. All right. Uh, how can legalism prevent us from receiving the gift of Jesus Christ and his kingdom? So obviously, um, in this passage, uh, we have the, the Pharisees um, that... that well, not necessarily in this passage, but in other passages, the Pharisees get caught in legalism. Again, like we have this really rigid structure, Jesus. Like, you can't step out of it, Jesus. Like, if you step out of this structure, then we're just like gonna like lose it because we have this structure and it's working for us. Well, not really, it's not working for you. So he constantly stepped out of the side of the structure to show them, like, it's not working for you. Like, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Like, come to me. Not the religious structure. Get outside of that. And so, here's my thought. Here's, here's where I was challenged, right? And don't, don't, uh, don't check out yet. 
okay? Um, especially on phones and stuff. I know that I just gave you the last two blanks and now it's like, man, whatever. Okay, just don't check out. Because this is where we kind of bring it to home for us. So, what about us in the church? How is it that sometimes we get caught in legalism? Do you guys know what I mean by legalism? No. No. Okay, thank you for being honest. All right. So, legalism is, is this rigid following of the law. It's the, I'm going to check all the boxes. I've got to go to church every day, and if I don't go to church every day or every week, then I'm a sinner and I'm, you know, not right with God. And I've got to, I got to um, feed the poor, and I've got to, you know, uh, give my tithe, and I've got to check the box, check the box, check the box. Okay? It's super, super rigid. It's basically just jumping through religious hoops for the sake of, like, making myself feel good. Or really, a lot of times, what that really is about is, is having other people look at me and say, wow, you are so religious. You are such a great guy. Like, if, I, if, I'm being, like, like if we're being real, like that, that really is what legalism is all about. Either that or fear of being outside of God's grace. One of the two. Approval of man, fear of being outside of God's grace. And so this legalism is very easy to get trapped in because like even people with really good hearts that really want to do God's will, like it's, it's a pretty uh, uh, fine line between like doing it out of the goodness of our heart and doing it out of obligation because we just feel like we, we have to. So that's kind of what legalism is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So um, how in the church then does legalism sometimes keep us from receiving Jesus Christ um, or the gift of Jesus Christ in his kingdom? So if you want to imagine legalism as that wineskin, like when I'm, when I'm kind of setting that scenario up, like how does that prevent me from receiving everything that Jesus has for me when I have certain boxes that he has to fit into? You following me? I need to let go of the boxes. I need to let Jesus be Jesus. The Pharisees had a really hard time with that because they were so comfortable with the boxes. And Jesus was saying, like, I can't be contained in those boxes. It'll just explode them. And so, so the sadness in that is that when we, when we do try to fit Jesus in a box, there's certain parts of Jesus that, that we decide that, like, meh, like, that doesn't really fit, so I don't believe that or I don't think that or I don't even see that. And we're missing out on beautiful gifts that he has for us. You following me? Okay. Um, so the second application part um, is what does it say about Jesus that he used the image of a wedding to describe his kingdom? Okay, so I don't know what you guys think, but in thinking about that seven-day wedding that's like really awesome and celebratory, and Jesus, uh, his first miracle was at a wedding, FYI, for those of you that don't know that. So he's hanging out. They ran out of wine. He was like, actually, his mom was like, Jesus, you need to do something. Now I'm paraphrasing. And he was like, he was like, now, now I'm not paraphrasing this because in some translations it's like, and I don't know why I'm thinking this right now, but anyways, Greek word for woman, gune, okay? Um, so uh, I know it's, the, the reason I remember that is uh, um, when I was trying to memorize my Greek words, I would uh, memorize uh, guni. No offense to women, that was the only way, that was my memory device, okay? Anyways, yeah, uh-huh. No, but seriously, I had some really weird ones. If I looked at my Greek cards, you would be like, what? Like, your brain is weird. But um, he turns to her and he says, woman? Okay, like, literally, like, woman. Like, it's not my time yet. Like, why do you bother me with these things? And then he ends up making a bunch of wine for people. And, yeah, he doesn't, not, now, I, again, I'm paraphrasing it. I find it funny in those translations, though, because from our context, it's like, it's like, woman? Like, you know, it almost sounds disrespectful. 
Obviously, Jesus was not being disrespectful one bit. Let me just be clear about that. But then he makes wine for these people, and they come out, and they're like, man, everybody else gives us the, the really good wine first, and then gives us the really bad wine later, because like, we can't really tell a difference. And Jesus is like, no, I'm bringing you like straight up like whatever, the best from... Yeah, and he makes the best wine they've ever tasted. And, and so, so I say all that to say that, that the wedding... Um, uh, him using this image of the wedding feast, I think is really, really, really um, helpful in conceptualizing the kingdom of God. Why? Because a lot of times when we think about religion, we think about stuffy stuff. Right? We think about like, to be prim and proper, quiet. <laughs> right? I mean, sometimes like, like okay, so, so we're conceptualizing it that way. But here's, like, here's how these two application points come together. What if we thought about our time with Jesus more like a wedding feast than a religious service? How would that transform the way that we experience him? I mean, it would be, it'd be completely different. And that's what he's highlighting in this. It's like, this is not, like, though religion is helpful and religious practices are helpful at times, like, they cannot, cannot contain the Son of God. And so I'm not saying that religion is bad. Jesus wasn't saying that religion was bad. But what he is saying is that if you get hung up here and you make it all about the religion, then you can completely miss out on the gift of me, Jesus Christ. So my encouragement to us, to you, in this next week, when you have time with Jesus, when you come to church here, I want you to think about a wedding feast, not a church service that maybe sometimes you feel is stuffy. You following me? Okay. All right. So let me pray, um, and then we will be dismissed. Make sure you uh, pick up trash and stuff and help me out that way. Um, And uh, I think we still do have cupcakes in there. So for those of you that don't have cupcakes yet, feel free to get some cupcakes and, and, and so forth. Actually, Mason, do you mind praying this out? Cool, man. Thank you.